0: DIY 20 at checkout to save 20%. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. The GDIY Spotlight is a monthly bonus episode highlighting nonprofits whose missions support hunting, dogs, dog training, and or conservation. At the end of the month, we donate 10% of Patreon proceeds to the featured organization. While the financial donation may not be much, it's our way of getting the message out and garnering more support for the causes that are important for all hunters, gun dog owners, and conservationists. Please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash gundogityourself to help support these great organizations in addition to helping out our podcast. We really appreciate all of our patrons and as always, gun dog it yourself.
1: All right folks, we're here with Dr. Pete Capolillo from Working Dogs for Conservation. This is our GDIY Spotlight. How you doing, Pete?
2: I'm good. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So uh, why don't you get started and uh, tell, us, tell us about Working Dogs for Conservation, what your mission is, and what you guys do.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Well, we, uh, we uh, rescue and train um, detection and tracking dogs, and we send them out to uh, protect wildlife and wild places uh, all over the world. Um, and so, you know, historically the, 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 our, our field and our organization was born back in the nineties when, um, when it became possible to, to get scat from, um, or sorry, to get DNA from scats. Um, and so, uh, there was a, there was, you know, a need to, to find a lot more scats and to find them in a non-biased way. And so, um, it occurred to the, the four women who founded the organization that um, that uh, you know scats are just little little messages left by carnivores for other carnivores, and we've got this carnivore dog living with us, and that they were pretty good at finding them. So that they um, we did that for oh close to twenty years. Uh, a lot of um, mapping of habitats, finding you know back in the early days, all you could do was tell what species it was, and and nowadays you know you can get so much more information um, from an individual scat. So not only can we tell what species it is, but we can identify the individual and we can tell who they're related to. And, and now we get hormones and stress hormones and reproductive hormones and diet information and parasites and all sorts of stuff like that. So that for, for about 20 years, that was, that was, you know, the bulk of what we did. Um, you call that now under the umbrella of ecological monitoring, but it's all about you know finding where threatened or endangered or rare species live and helping to protect those places and figuring out what they need um, sort of to survive. And, and nowadays, though, in the last um, seven or eight years, what we've really spent a lot of time doing is a lot more um, law enforcement and stopping wildlife crime. So we've got, um, we've got our own dogs and are active, uh, on the ground in eight countries. And then we're, we, we, we convened, we pulled together a network of, of dogs and handlers, over 200 dogs and handlers in in 15 different countries, all of, all of whom are trying to stop, um, wildlife trafficking. So ivory, rhino horn, guns, ammunition, you know, preventing poaching, but also, um, pangolins, pangolin scales, um, uh, you know, all sorts of species, sacred falcon stuff stuff like that. Um, and, and most recently we now are doing a lot more with, um, uh, with invasive species. So dogs are really good at, at, well, they're, you know, they're good at detecting whatever we want them to detect. But, um, um, so we, we inspect boats for zebra and quagga mussels. Uh, we do weed work, uh, feral swine, all sorts of, all, all sorts of invasive species. So, um, those are the three big, big categories of what we do. And, and, you know, some of the work we do ourselves and then some we do as, as training and capacity building, helping others. Cause it's a new field and, and we feel like there, there ought to be a lot more dogs out there. Um, I know I'm preaching to the choir with you guys. Um, but some, you know, so often a lot of uh, people don't realize what dogs are capable of. Um, and so then we, we train others to, to do that sort of stuff and send them out in the world to, to do conservation.
0: All right, so that's a that's a lot of information to cover. Let let's backtrack and kind of start with where you're going and what kind of helps you guys get started with the SCAT. Explain to everybody what you're looking to find the SCAT for. How are you utilizing it? I know that you said it plays a, a paramount in what you guys do, but what are you actually using the SCAT for?
2: Well, the very first study, the very first um, project that we did was a grizzly bear. Um, uh project back in the nineties you know when grizzlies i mean they y- here in our part of the world um they've expanded quite a bit, but they 've still got a pretty limited range and so they wanted to know where where grizzlies were living and 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 how to protect those areas and as as you might imagine, a lot of those grizzlies back in the day were um pretty shy and so they were they they could be in places um and no one would ever even see them um but you know the dogs could find their scats and so that was really useful information in terms of being able to protect those areas, but also helping people get um, be prepared, you know, because uh, living with grizzlies can be can be difficult. And so preventing conflict and 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 protecting core habitats, and then looking forward, thinking about connectivity and where those grizzly populations would expand into. So that was a lot of our work in the early days was just you find a scat, you identify what species it is. And then for us, we hand that over to either the the state agencies or the feds or, or whoever, you know, um, and then they and they work on protecting the areas or minimizing conflicts or doing whatever they do. And then, you know, after bear scats, we just it expanded and we've done all kinds of different um, uh, species. You know, in the early days, it was more carnivores. We did wolves. We did lynx. We've done mountain lion, <clears throat> wolverine, stuff like that, and then it's expanded to all sorts of other species, like African species, like lion and leopard and cheetah, wild dog, um, you know, Asian black bears, uh, um, and and uh, and even cross river gorillas. They're the rarest great ape in the world. Um, so you know, anything that is is rare and hard to find, um, you know, they're 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 all pooping. So dogs are <laughs> yeah. dogs are good at finding those scats and and the lab techniques have just gotten better and better and less um and less and less expensive. So I always say, you know, the the, the value of a turd just keeps going up and up because <laughs> 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 you get so much information from it now. Um you know, all the hormones and and all that stuff. So so that's that's been a big part of what we do and it'll probably always be a part of a big part of what we do uh, even with the law enforcement invasives and biosecurity stuff. Yeah.
0: So, is there a specific type of dog that you mainly use? Is is there a specific breed or type that that you find is better at sniffing out the turds that that you uh, (laughs) called it a second ago? And then also also do the dogs are they kind of only trained on one species or is it kind of like a tracking dog that you just hey this is what we're after go find it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So so as I mentioned, we we rescue um, the dogs that we train. And, and the reason we do that is because, um, after, um, after nine 11 and the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq, it became very difficult to get specialty bred detection dogs. They got really expensive and, um, and they were also, the quality was declining because, you know, because they were so expensive, there were a lot of, um, you know, sort of disreputable breeders in Eastern Europe, just breeding every dog that they could get their hands on. Mm -hmm. Um, so we decided to double down and, and, and focus on, on rescuing dogs. Um, and so we select for behavioral characteristics and, and really, you you know, you guys get it. So it's, it's primarily ball drive, crazy ball drive. So labs are great. Um, labs, Malinois, um, some shepherds, some border collies, we tend to shy away from a lot of the 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 um, the bird dog breeds because they're they they've got a lot of prey drive and they're they're easily distracted so the the, yes, the they clever are. thing about <laughs> <laughs> that's right yeah, as you guys know yeah so the thing about ball drive is you can you can associate that ball with these other scents and and so you know the truth is our dogs you know don't inherently care much about weeds or you know, even gunpowder or ammunition or, 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 um, ivory, but they recognize they've learned the game. And so they know that in order to get to play ball, they find the, the target odor. And so they're just, you know, the, the methods are a lot like, um, it's sort of a combination of, of, um, for the detection side, it's a combination of, of, of methods that are a lot like narcotics or search and rescue, um, you know, but conducted out in the field on, on sort of biological sense primarily. And, um, and then, and then the tracking dogs, they're just tracking, you know, it's, it's very similar. It's, it's, you know, we use, we, we use, um, all kinds to track. So they're, you know, they're, you, they're ground scent, air scent, they're, they're doing whatever they need and they're just, they're fabulous at it, um, and uh, and and you know they're they're all interested in in uh, the game. So the the Wicket was was our most experienced dog, and she um, um when she ended her career she was on thirty two different scents. So wow. um you know and she would never she would never search for all those scents in any one place, but um but she she knew them all, and um you know the most would be five or six in any one any one place but you know it's it's not that dissimilar from a bird dog who who um you know knows a lot of different dogs and when you're hunting mountain grouse they know they're on mountain grouse that's what they expect to find and that's what they're sort of looking for but if they happen to come on you know if there was something you know um strange there they'll they'll alert to it so um you know they're they're really good once they learn the game they're really good at at um at, at at doing it and and you know finding whatever we ask them to
1: that's amazing. I think one of the key differences probably is that a, a bird dog is genetically programmed to find birds. And That's it sounds right. like your detection dogs. I keep thinking of the, the dog in uh, the movie up. That's like, if you throw the ball, I'll bring it back. And I just yeah. imagine these dogs, <laughs> like if I find this, I get to play with the ball. And so, exactly right. um, Exactly right. That's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. So the dogs have a career at, at detection work for whatever the scent that they're going to master, or maybe up to thirty two cents that they master. When they get to the end of their career, what happens to the dog? Or I mean, do they just work till the end, or do they kind of reach a point where you send them up for adoption or something?
2: Well, most of our most of our dogs um, live with their handlers. And by the time they've worked together for, you know, 10 years or whatever, almost always the handler adopts that dog and they live out the rest of their career, you know, the life on the, on their couch, you know? And, and the truth is as, as we've gotten bigger, um, it, as an organization, we've got, we're, we're at 38 dogs now. Um, as we've gotten bigger, what we're able to do, and we do a lot of, a lot of different projects. So when the dogs get older, those dogs are really valuable because they're good at solving problems. Just like, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you guys know this, you know, you got an old bird dog who just knows, you know, what to do with running birds and knows the difference between old scent and new scent. And, and that's, that's the exact same thing for detection dogs. And so um, those dogs will, you know, we, we tend to shift them away from the big um, physically taxing projects like, you know, bears or, 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 or links or, wolverine or mountain lion, you know, running up and down hills. And we put them on, um, harder, harder tasks that take, you know, experience and problem solving, but aren't hard on their bodies, you know? So sometimes that's like what we call box work. So discrimination, like figuring out the, you know, we trained some dogs to discriminate, um, brook trout from rainbow trout. And we knew that that was going to be a very difficult project. Um, and, you know, so we started with them and, but it physically it wasn't difficult. But you know, they had to start on swabs from that we swab fish with, and then they had to transition to doing it in buckets of water, and then they transitioned to doing it in moving water, and then they went out to a to a stream and do it. So that's a perfect project for an old um experienced dog, because they're they're really good at figuring stuff out, but um but you know, they may be they may not be as physically capable as some of the young dogs. Um, but you know, we're, we're able to, to, to sort of help them along and, and, and do those sorts of things. So it works out nicely. And a lot of them, a lot of them will work until after their 12th or 13th birthday. Um, and, and so it, you know, they kind of taper off. They, um, we don't, you know, often they, it's a, it's a slow, it's a slow transition to retirement.
0: Yeah. Th- this is amazing. Me and Adam, we're just sitting here looking at each other, shaking our heads. Like this is, this is ridiculous at, at, the detection level that you can get these dogs and especially the experienced dogs to to uh react to i mean f- fish swabs it, it's just amazing and so and these are rescue dogs yeah rescue so it's dogs. not
1: like these dogs have been bred for this for years and years it's literally a dog that's been rescued and now it's telling the difference between a brook trout and a rainbow trout when you said that nick and i both dropped our
0: jaws and looked at each other <laughs> Yeah. So, so Pete, how did how did you go from from dealing with the scat to helping with poaching and invasive species? Was, did somebody just get sick of the crap job and wanted to do something new? <laughs> what 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 kind of transition you guys to helping with the poaching situation?
2: You know, we 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 were doing almost all ecological monitoring and and counting animals and mapping their habitats and protecting them. And in 2012. We were um, we took um, we took a couple of dogs to Zambia, and to work on lion, leopard, cheetah, and wild dog, and that was really right in the the when the the um, global crisis in wildlife trafficking was really at its peak, and elephants were just getting hammered all over the place. There was lots of snaring going on, and our partner on the ground in Zambia said, you know, this is great. It's great to count them everything, but we've got this epidemic of snaring. Do you think we can, um, we can use dogs to find illegal wire snares? And so we said, well, we'll give it a shot. Why not? And at the same time, we realized that it's a lot, a lot more cost effective to just have dogs on the ground there in Africa full time rather than taking them back and forth. You know, the quarantine requirements and import requirements, they're a, they're you know they're a big pain in the butt and I you know I often roll my eyes and say it might be easier to invade some of these countries than to bring dogs in <laughs> and so so in 2014 we we took the first two dogs into Zambia and um, and um, trained them for um, uh, to do law enforcement instead of ecological monitoring and within a few months uh, one of those dogs named Ruger who's an interesting fascinating dog he's a um he's a um uh he's a lab shepherd mix he's actually blind he was rescued from the blackfeet reservation here in montana and he's just a machine he just he hits on guns and ammunition like you can't believe and the interesting thing about there in in africa is and and i should say there are legal guns and ammunition and he'll he'll alert to those and it's no big deal um because then whoever's got them they say fine Go ahead. But sure. uh, a lot of the a lot of the poaching happens with homemade muzzleloaders, um, and they'll put you know bits of rock and rebar and and um, you know ball bearings whatever in there, and they'll gut shoot an elephant, and then just track it for a day or two, and until it bleeds out and dies. So, it's a nasty. It's a really awful. Um, uh, you know, way to, I wouldn't even yeah. call it hunting. It's just, it's just poaching. Sure. So anyway, he, he, and but the interesting thing is those guns are very hard to get your hands on. And so you confiscate one of those guns, you're putting seven, eight, nine, ten 10 poachers out of business because they, they share them around. So Ruger Ruger just got after it and, and, and was putting hundreds of poachers out of business um, within, within the first number of months that he was there. And he's kind of famous now, if you roll into a village in Zambia with a black dog, they'll say, is that Ruger? (laughs) (laughs) So that was, that was how we got into that. And, you know, it's funny. It's everybody finds it novel and, you know, they loves to talk about dogs and all the cool things that dogs do. And so, you know, people just come to us with ideas and say, Hey, can we train them on, you know, this or that or, or whatever. And so, you know, one of our founders in particular is Megan Parker. And she's um, she's just fearless. She'll just try anything. So um, she was she was involved in the first dogs to to do wire snares. She was on the fish project. Um, she trained dogs to to discriminate um, the pellets of an elk that's infected with brucellosis from a from a <laughs> from an Lord. elk that's not. Oh
1: my goodness!
2: Yeah. So just all sorts of crazy stuff. And you know, I think what we've really learned is. It's not, it's not hard for them. The dogs are really good at it. The challenge is for us to figure out how to ask the question in a right, in the right way to direct. Um, yeah, I
1: think more often than not, we probably limit their capabilities. Um, a guy told me one time that a dog sees the world through its nose where we see the world through our eyes. So if we can imagine some of these things, you know, you can look at an apple and an orange and tell the difference. It's very easy for a dog to smell the difference and, the owl scat that you just described.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. When we did the fish thing, people would just shake their heads and say, oh, that's amazing. How do they do that? And I say, look, you've done this. You do it with your eyes. You know, you'll, you'll hook a fish and you'll see it four or five, you know, six feet down under the water and it'll just flash quickly. And you immediately know that's a Brown or that's a rainbow. right? Right. And, and we use about, you know, depending on what estimate, who you listen to, we use between twelve and sixteen percent of our brains for vision, right well, the dogs use up to sixty percent of their brains for olfaction, so the equivalent is just a whiff or just a tiny s- smell of that, but they're just as good at even way better at at you know the the the, the scent equivalent of that flash underwater and so they're they're amazing a, a lot of things they do I think is in spite of us not, not because <laughs> of us.
0: Yeah, I I always tell everybody I wish that I could have a dog's nose for just one day. Yeah. I want to experience it for a day, but anything longer than I, th- I think that that would just fry my brain. It's just sensory <laughs> overload. So, I
2: think you're exactly right. So, yeah.
0: describe yeah. to everybody the the work that y'all are doing with the invasive species because I know uh, depending on where you're at in the country or even the world, uh, a lot of a lot of areas are having a lot of hard times with invasive species. So, how how are you guys helping with that?
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know the 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 dogs don't know the difference. They they find whatever we ask them to find, and so it's the same game as far as they're concerned. But um, the invasive species work started um, started with um, you know tracking um, uh, what you know infestations. So we've done all sorts of stuff from um, you know actual live animal work, um, brown tree snakes in Guam um, to, um, to rosy wolf snails in Hawaii. And, and, um, and then we got onto weeds that that, that's been a big one as you, you know, as you might imagine, it's a big deal for ranchers and, and, and rangelands in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. And originally when I, when I got started, I thought, okay, this is, this is prevention, right? It's the first to prevent the first weed from coming. And, And we've done some of that, but interestingly, it's also one of the things we've learned is that it's also when you have an infestation, people often think it's in one certain area. And almost always, it's, 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 it's more widely distributed than we think. And so <clears throat> um, using the dogs to map an infestation um, and, and then allowing them to do their eradication or control or prevention or whatever they want to do based on the dog's mapping makes them much more effective. And now we're also involved in some other projects here in in, in Montana, um, where they're they're actually working to eradicate an invasive weed, and so um, you know getting every last individual plant. Um, and you know our our dogs now it's a it's a plant called Dyer's woad. It's in Missoula. It's on the 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 hill next to the university there, and. Um, it, you know, the, the seeds will live in the soil for up to seven years. And so we're just mining the seed bank now. So the dogs starting not far, not long from now, will start going out and they'll get these tiny little seedlings and you really have to dig around in the leaf litter and the grass and everything to find them. Even sometimes they'll even find, they'll even alert to them before they emerge, before they come out. Um, and, and it's, and, and the cool thing about that is we're able, because you and I search with our eyes. And so I'm not a very good bot i need to see flowers that's yeah. that's how i identify the plant. but the dogs will identify it based on its smell and so they get it before it flowers and most importantly before it sets seed so so it can't re- reproduce so by doing it earlier in the year we're, we're we're getting them we're undermining you know getting them before they're they're um they're reproductive so that's really cool and then of course the the, the big one that we've been spending a lot of time and money on lately is zebra and quagga mussels. Um, I, I would imagine you guys have had the pleasure of oh. stepping on some of those.
0: Yeah, they're they're um, definitely know, around. World.
2: Yeah, well, uh, you know, knock on wood, and, and fortunately, in our part of the world, Idaho, um, Montana, Wyoming, we don't have them, and we prefer not to have them. Um, so our fear was that that they would come in in you know a bait well or a, or you know even in in you know the villagers for those the the, the microscopic larvae invisible to our eyes, but, um, we, we demonstrated that dogs can smell those. And so, um, <clears throat> they can, they'll go and we, we, we've used dogs at check stations now in, um, Oh, Alberta and here in Montana. And, and, and we did a big project, um, in eight national parks around and we'll be in Lake Meredith in Texas, um, starting, I think in a, in a couple of weeks here, um, and the cool thing about that is not only can the dogs detect the, the, the veligers, the larvae, but you know, it takes a visual inspection, you know, a, a, a thorough inspector, you know, might spend an hour on a boat. And of course, when you're at a check station and everybody's lined up behind, they're getting grumpy because, you know, it's delaying their day on the water. And, um, but, uh, but a dog can do a boat in about three to five minutes, and yeah. so, and it's fun. Everybody wants to get out. They all get out of the car and they watch the dog work and everything. And they say, can, you know, can he sniff my waiters too and do all this stuff? So it's, it's great. It's a great outreach tool and it speeds things up and everybody's happier and they get on with their day. They get on the water and off they go. So I, you know, the last five or seven years, a lot of our, our growth and a lot of our work has been law enforcement and wildlife crime. And if I had to guess, I would say the next five to seven years will be, um invasives and 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 what we call biosecurity you know preventing these things from taking over
0: this is this is ridiculously impressive honestly we could probably talk for two hours just listening more about this and some specific jobs and and experiences you've had we may have to have you on later on just to talk about those examples but real quick describe to everybody how they can help out where they can find you donate join membership what what do you guys offer
2: Oh, that's awesome! Thank you. Thanks for thanks for asking. Our website is is wd 4 corg and that's the number four, so it's wd number four corg um, And we're on Facebook at Working Dogs for Conservation and and um, and Instagram. And we we do we 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 do a lot of our work with um, with individual donations. And what's really great about that is is it, that allows us to 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 put our investments where it. Matters, you know, for for conservation, um, not necessarily where you know there's grant money or there's. We do some fee for service work for so the agencies or or um, industry can hire us to do conservation related sort of thing- things. But the really great, the really important, um, you know, support is is um, from individuals because then we can say, hey, you know, black-footed ferrets, rarest mammal in North America, they're really hard to count. Let's figure out a better way to do that, and boom, off we go, and 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 we can do that. So, um that's how that's how to find us and 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 um I you know, dogs give a great bang for your buck and it's really fun to get to watch them to to see them do their work and everything. So, um <clears throat> you know, the more the merrier. They there. I think in in 10 years this will be a much more common um practice, I think cuz cuz we're just scratching the surface in terms of what they're able to do.
1: Absolutely. I think it's great that you guys are giving the dogs an opportunity to I don't want to say reach their max potential in my mind, this is uh, like the max that it could get, but I think dogs are capable of even more than this. And and Nick and I have been looking at each other throughout this conversation, just amazed at some of the stuff you guys are doing with the dogs. So I think it's great that y'all are doing that. You're rescuing dogs. um, So dogs that are either going to live out their lives in a no kill shelter or be euthanized. Um, And y'all are saving those dogs and, and for a great cause. So Thanks yeah. a lot well, for thank
2: Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for letting us tell that story. I you know, it's I, I'm always eager to tell it to, to to sporting dog people because you guys already get it. You're you've had those moments where you're standing there in the field with your shotgun in your hand and you're going, Really? How did he do that? <laughs> That's you right. Know, you know? Absolutely. So, yeah, it's it, you guys already get it. So thank you. Thanks for for, for listening.
1: Absolutely. Well we've enjoyed it and uh, we will talk to you soon.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for telling our story. See you guys soon.
0: All right. Thanks for listening to this month's GDIY Spotlight. If you would like to see more on this month's featured organization, please check out our Facebook and Instagram at gundogatyourself. You can also find the organization's link through our website at gundogatyourself.com. If you have a suggestion for a nonprofit that could be a good fit for future episodes, please send an email to us at gundogityourself at gmail.com.